JB, I've been doing uh, interviews of student athletes for what now? I think 26 years, believe it or not. 26 now. I got to tell most you. Of the guys that you're interviewing. <laughs> I feel like we should just stop tape now so I can go cry. But uh, yeah. I, I think that the interview I did on Saturday uh, that we're about to show here, or the, the, the answer given actually, this was the best answer I can remember. In my 26 years of doing these interviews, were you feeling a little disrespected coming into this game? Nah, I come from a 2A school, so I've been disrespected ever since I got into college, honestly. <laughs> um, and that's just the truth of it. I've always had that underdog mentality, and even on the starter now, I still keep it. Like hearing your podcast and stuff, that's just motivation for me. I don't have no hard feelings toward that. You know, that doesn't bother me. It actually motivates me to be better, and that's kind of how I take it and look at it. Okay, for those that don't know. Texas, I think, is rates up to what, like a 5A uh, system uh, in high schools down there. It's, it's, it's higher, maybe, yeah. yeah Six, eight. <laughs> wh know. Whatever it is, 2A is obviously low, and the more A's, the better you are. And uh, it, th that's an honest answer. And y how couldn't you fall, you know, in love with the game of Kyle King on that field on Saturday? And then to have him kind of be as humble as he is about the whole thing about, hey, I've been disrespected all my life. I don't care, Frank, uh, James, you, you give me motivation. Well, I mean, at, at halfway through that game, um, when you saw the, the tide turning and the comeback was starting, I immediately got on my phone and tweeted out a, a complete retraction of what I said on our Friday show, which was, you know, Kyle, you know, the Crusaders aren't going to need Kyle King to win this game. Well, guess what? They did, and he came through in huge fashion along with Brandon, a.k.a. now Baby Gronk, Jordan, I'll call him, because that kid is something else. He's a big guy, huge matchup problem. Those two really helped elevate the Crusaders to a, a huge win that they looked like they weren't going to get, uh, at least at halftime. Well, Kyle, now that we're giving you all these kudos, don't let us down, man. Come on. I, I, I mean, yes, this becomes the uh, curse of in the huddle. His uh, dad, Alvy, uh, stopped by to say hi, who I know you've uh, corresponded with uh, in the past. So uh, there was a, a great family atmosphere at UMHB uh, for uh, a game that obviously uh, lived up to the hype and expectations on and Saturday some, night. Yeah. It will be in our crunch time, as will many more games. We had some great games on Saturday. There is no doubt about it. we got to cover them all. So let's go. It's Season 14 of In the Huddle. JB, uh, we got a lot to cover, so I'm just going to say, what was your week four takeaway from the 30,000-foot view level? Well, as we said in our kind of week four um, preview, that there would be a lot of kind of cross-regional uh, games. Some of the results were a little surprising. Um, some, I guess you could say, some upsets. We saw some teams doing things that we normally don't see very much, like Merchant Marine passing for a lot, hundreds of yards and touchdowns. Uh, we got to see, um, you know, 
Montclair State finally get a, a, a win that they've been so close. Um, and we've got to see some kind of surprising, uh, I guess you could say, upsets and, and maybe even um, some closer games than we thought. Um, and that maybe that the scoreboard belies a little bit. Uh, but overall, it was a really competitive kind of last weekend of non-conference play. There are some conferences that are going on, you know, the MAC and the PAC and some of the, the bigger ones um, out in the Midwest. You know, the OAC has already started conference play. Um, John Carroll and Mount Union is a game that we'll obviously talk about a little bit later. But, you know, we're September's over. And there's about, what, 44 undefeated teams that are either 3 or 4-0. and oh, And that's going to start changing a lot as October progresses. Um, so yeah, uh, it's going to be exciting. Um, I'm wearing this shirt today in honor of the 4-0 Widener Pride. That's uh, Chester, PA is my grandfather's um, birthplace, hometown. Um, I think, you know, we kind of have to sort of dedicate this one to all the dads out there. Mine had his birthday um, earlier, uh, I guess it now would have been about a week ago, I know Kevin Gilmartin lost his father uh, this week. It was uh, very sad. You know, Kevin Gilmartin Sr., a.k.a. Poppy, passed away. So we'd like to dedicate this show to all the dads out there, um, undefeated or not, because most of us dads are, are pretty defeated <laughs> at least a few times. But we do our best. And, um, you know, Coach Gilmartin, this, this show is for you. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, Poppy Gilmartin, uh, Poppy was his uh, nickname, uh, passed away on, I believe, Sunday. And uh, we pass out the word on uh, Twitter. And I talked to him briefly on Messenger, uh, Kevin uh, Gilmartin. And uh, he said uh, while they had some time to digest it and maybe prepare for it a couple weeks ago, uh, yeah. the stroke had happened. Uh, it's still not easy. So uh, definitely condolences to him and his family and to the Salve football family. Having said that, uh, we're going to go from uh, kind of depressing here, obviously, uh, to a little bit more upbeat because we want to talk about some great games. This is crunch time for week number four of the fall 2021 D3 college football season. And we're going to start with the aforementioned Salve Regina Seahawks, and uh, they had hosted Rowan, and Rowan was ahead early in this game, 21-3 in the second quarter. Then with 10.45 left in that second quarter, Eddie Jamison gets a 56-yard pass from Mike Husney, and that is just pouring it on at this point. Incredible job by Huston to escape and pitch the ball over to Jamison in this play, 28-3. Eventually at halftime, it's 35-16 Rowan. Salve Regina would not be denied, as you'll see right here. Drop, throw in the end zone, and contact, and catch for a touchdown! And making the reception is Max DeVito! That's a 10-yard touchdown pass to Max DeVito with 9.54 left in the third quarter. It's now 35-22. Then DeVito does it again from McGuire. A 17-yard touchdown pass this time to make it 35-29 in favor of Rowan with 5.10 left in the third quarter. Early in the fourth quarter, you know this guy. And he'll get the hand up, slices inside, and more! There goes Joey Barillo! And he is gonna go all the way for the touchdown! 
so much for one yard. How about 40? 40-yard touchdown run by Joey Moriello. It is now 36-35 Salve Regina, but could they hold off Rowan? Indeed they could because of the legs of Joey Moriello. Uh, the last-minute shovel pass from McGuire here uh, gets him a 22-yard touchdown pass to Moriello. It's 43-35, and then just add one more Moriello run for good measure, a 25-yard run here to make it 50-35 Salve Regina. That is an incredible comeback there, JB. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we heard and around the nation, uh, Coach Gil Martin was basically saying that, you know, he didn't really have to do much to fire his team up. The, the defense said, you know what, Coach, we're not going to let these guys score anymore. And they lived up to that. And Moriello and Wire and the rest of the offense just started cranking out points. Um, really impressive performance. Um, you know, is Salve a potential playoff or conference championship team. Huge game this weekend against Western New England for the, those bragging rights. And so for now, Salve's unbeaten and looks like perhaps the team to beat in the CCC, but the Golden Bears have something to say about that. Moriello with 279 in terms of yardage and McGuire with five passing touchdowns. Incredible day. We'll talk more about Moriello later. I have a funny feeling. Williams at Tufts. Uh, we don't have the video from this game. Tufts nerfed the video uh, right when we were going back for it uh, yesterday. And so uh, it is gone. But I'll tell you that place kicker, Ivan Schran, 33-yard field goal with 43 seconds left, forced overtime. Joel Nicholas from uh, Williams gets 22 rushes, 94 yards. And Williams uh, gets the game winner uh, from that aforementioned Joel Nicholas. Let's go to Lycoming and Stevenson. Uh, there's somebody that didn't nerf their video at that point. It's 14-3 Stevenson until Lycoming with 137 left in the second quarter as Taijah During getting a 69-yard pass from Elijah Shimori is the way they pronounce it on the broadcast. We'll go with that. 14-10 now in favor of Stevenson. In the fourth quarter, Lycoming held a 23-14 lead with eight minutes left until Stevenson, Steven Smothers gets an 11-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Sedgwick. That makes it 23-21 in favor of Lycoming here. Now Stevenson gets another touchdown for Smothers in the, the I should say, the Smothers-Sedgwick connection. Eight yards this time, 28-23 Stevenson. Lycoming, though, driving with 19 seconds left. What happens here? Shimore, corner of the end zone, incomplete, flag flies. Ah. It's going to be a pass interference call. Defensive pass interference puts it to the two-yard line here. There is no half the distance uh, for defense, defensive pass interference, so it's a spot foul or max 15. Here it goes to the two. And Joey Guida from Elijah Shimori, a two-yard touchdown pass, makes it 29-28 Lycoming. There's another late comeback or last-minute uh, turnaround. And give credit Lycoming here. They fell behind after having that lead and then come back to score again. Reminds me of some of those games in the spring we used to talk about, that moxie to kind of say, hey, we're not done yet, even though you've lost the lead. Uh, Guida's uh, touchdown catch from Shemri, as you can see there, with 10 seconds left, and the defense forcing five turnovers by Lycoming. JB, other scores are there, and uh, what did you see in Region 1 that's sticking out besides the stuff we already talked about? Well, I think... Um 
There's a couple things that jumped out to me, you know, as we said before, uh, Merchant Marine winning big is a surprise. When you look at the stat line, they're actually throwing the ball <laughs> a lot for triple option team, um, kind of like Salisbury, which is an interesting, uh, you know, new twist on, on Coach Kroll's offense. So keep an eye on those Mariners. They're starting to get votes uh, and, and getting recognized in certain top 25 polls. And so that's exciting for them. Um, we saw, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Colby beat Amherst in the NESCAC for the first time in 22 years um, on a uh, field goal to, to take it 10 to seven, uh, kind of a big win for the for the mules up there in Maine. And then Anna Maria uh, knocking off Coast Guard uh, ties the AMCATS program record for most wins in a season and we're only in week four. So congrats Bring Coach Maroney, we knew. Yep, ding, ding, ding. I mean, we, we knew we'd get there, uh, you know, eventually. It's, it's nice to see, you know, that program taking some some positive steps. And, and um, Gallaudet gets their first win of the season, 49-42 uh, over Greensboro. Alfred State with a big win out in the Midwest over Defiance, 35-28. to And uh, in one of the late games, Endicott hangs on to take uh, take care of Norwich, 30-21. to Coach Mulroney, keep winning. Get me up there. I want to finally see... The Anna Marie experience, the AMCAT experience up there. Let's go to Region 2, Union at Utica. Guess who's back in the lineup for Union? I'm sure Utica was just thrilled to see it. Andre Ross. Yeah, right. Let's start here with a 20-yard touchdown pass from Will Bellamy to Andre Ross Jr. with 8.54 left in the first quarter. It's 7-0 Union College. Three minutes later, Robbie Tolbert gets his fifth touchdown reception of the season, I believe it was, a 44-yard touchdown pass from Bellamy. It's now 14-0 Union, but Makai Medici gets three field goals in the first half for Utica uh, after that second score by Union to make it 14-9 in favor of Union. They held around for a while, did uh, Utica, until 10-27 left in the fourth quarter. Andre Ross Jr. with this 14-yard touchdown reception from Will Bellamy. 21 to 9 at that point. The final score was 30 to 9 Union. Bellamy, 182 passing yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Will, we won't talk about those. And Colin Lama <laughs> with 10 tackles, again, uh, leading the charge for the Dutchman. Junieda at Gettysburg. This was an incredible game uh, against or by two teams. Maybe we're not used to seeing this from. First, Juniata led 9-7 with Gettysburg looking to respond late in the first quarter and with one second left, William Howell gets a 69-yard interception return here for a touchdown. The pick six would make it 16-7 and that is in favor of Juniata. Halftime score, 23-18 Juniata after it was at one point a 16-point lead by them but a big third quarter by Gettysburg. With 9.35 left, Nick Riggio did this. He's at the 15, the 10, the 5, touchdown bullets! What a play by Nick Riccio, finding a way to spin out of that. That 26-yard touchdown run made it 24-23 Gettysburg. Three minutes later, hey, let's hear about Mike Vigliano. Oh, it's a reverse play. It's a cut outside by Vigliano. And oh, he's still moving. Vigliano's on the near sideline. He breaks to the 50, the 45, 40, the 35, 30. 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Mullet! Wow, what a run by Vigliano. The 63-yard pass from Fulner made it 31-23 now, Gettysburg. And then, hey, let's talk about Mike Del Grande. Get out. 
The ball's out! The ball's out! The Bullets may have it! Touchdown Gettysburg! Touchdown Gettysburg! They might not have mentioned him on the broadcast, but he's the one that fell on the fumble recovery. It made it 41-23 in favor of Gettysburg. The final score is Juniata try to come back in this game one more time was 48-42 Gettysburg. A lot of offense in this game and some good defensive play as well. We saw those two defensive touchdowns in our highlights. And uh, with four rushing touchdowns, that was Hunter Wolfie from Juniata. Three rushing touchdowns for Riggio. And Gettysburg's defense, three sacks, nine tackles for loss, two interceptions, a fumble recovery, and a partridge in a pear tree. Salisbury, Western New England. And this game started out interestingly, uh, especially in that first half. Let's first talk about Salisbury's Joey Bildstein. He gets a 50-yard touchdown run here to make it Salisbury 7 and Western New England 0. After a punt, though, later to the Western New England 1, take a look at this. Arstetter takes a snap and gives to Dudley. Does he get out of the end zone? Safety. And it's a safety. That safety made it 9-0 in favor of Salisbury. It also led to this Jack Lanham five-yard touchdown run. Now 16-0 Salisbury with a minute left in the first quarter. But Western New England would at least be heard from here as it's Steven Fedorchek from Karstetter here in a 16-7 score after the 21-yard touchdown pass. And then a fumble by Salisbury allows them to do it again 140 later. It's EJ Dudley with a one-yard touchdown run. So Salisbury's lead is down to 16-14. I think you kind of know where this, this one's going though eventually as the halftime score is 23-14 Salisbury. It wasn't put away until the third touchdown by Jack Lanham right here. Lanham fakes to give to Bilstein this time. He's going to keep it himself, and he's got green grass. Here goes Jack Lanham. Salem can't catch him and wave him good. That 47-yard touchdown run by Lanham. Uh, it was his third touchdown of four, I should say, in the day. That was 33-14 there. It was 40-14 final. Lanham with four rushing touchdowns. Fedorchek with seven receptions, 89 yards, and a touchdown. And uh, Region 2 uh, starts to get very hot this coming week in the Week 5 matchups. But we got a little bit of an appetizer here uh, with some of the scores that you see here, JB. Yeah, and Region 2 had a pretty... Hot week four, uh, 7-0 and in all the inter-regional play. None of the Region 2 teams lost in any of their crossover games, and most of them won by a pretty convincing margin. So I don't know if it was just a matchup thing or what. I mean, Alfred had to kind of fight and scrape by uh, against Kalamazoo out in Michigan, but otherwise you can see um, you know, pretty lopsided scores in, in this region kind of across the board. Let's move on to Region 3 here, and uh, this is where some of the action really starts picking up, that's for sure. Grove City at Westminster. Uh, we had to do a little hodgepodge of clipping here because we got some uh, coaches film and then we got some broadcast film, but uh, we only got the broadcast film for the Westminster highlights, so you'll see kind of some choppiness on this one. We apologize for that, but we wanted to get you the highlights because this was a good game indeed. First, Parker Gilgore gets a 27-yard interception return, a pick six off of our friend Cole Konichka. Uh, this was about seven minutes into the game and made it 7-0 Grove City. Then Cody Gustafson, or Gustafson, I guess is the right pronunciation, gets a nine-yard touchdown pass from ja Josh East later. This is uh, when it was already 14-0. This made it 20-0 after a kick failed uh, by Grove City. So 20-0 lead, 12-18 left. The halftime score 20-7 in favor of Grove City, but 
Westminster was not done from a long shot here. Braden Timmons first with a one-yard touchdown run, nine minutes into the second half, made it 21-20 to Westminster. So they complete the comeback there, but Grove City comes back too. Clayton Parrish gets a three-yard touchdown run. 26-21 Grove City now with a minute left third quarter. Three minutes later in the fourth, Chevy Dawson gets his 20-yard touchdown pass from Cole Konechka. The two-point conversion fails. It's 27-26 in favor of Westminster. Then with two minutes left, Cody Gustafson gets a 43-yard touchdown pass from Josh East. We'll look at both views of this that we have here. 32-27 in favor of Grove City. Again, uh, the extra point fails. I mean, we're all over the place. I missed extra points, two-point conversions in this game. Then 52 seconds later, Westminster with a chance, and let's see this play. Once, he'll go for it all. Corner of the end zone, and it is cut for a touchdown. Hauled in by Denny Dennison. Dennison able to find the corner of that end zone. What a ball thrown by Cole Konechka. And Westminster retakes the lead, not surprisingly. 26-yard touchdown pass. The 26-yard pass to Denny Dennison makes it 33-32. And then Josh East gets intercepted by Kevin Wright one play later to seal the deal. Westminster wins 33-32. Cole Konechka had an up-and-down day for sure, but it, start, it ends on the upside for sure. And you can see the rest there on our screen. This is a wild game, and we've got to talk about something connected to it uh, as uh, we uh, get out of crunch time, hopefully, a little bit later. Uh, but first, we'll talk about how we started at a 7-7 tie in this Washington and Lee Randolph-Macon game. Uh, the tie was 10 minutes into the second quarter until Presley Egbers gets this four-yard touchdown run uh, to make it 14-7 Randolph-Macon. The announcers have said that's the same play that we saw to win the ODAC, except for one thing, he held on to the ball for the whole time. On this one. In uh, the second quarter, 130 left, uh, Washington Lee's Alex Vaught gets a 78 yard touchdown pass from Jack Pollard. This was a tight end that just found a scene through the coverage and nobody was there with him. He was just all alone for the 14 14 tying score. After halftime, the teams traded field goals in the third quarter. Early in the fourth, though, uh, watch this. Okay, so bad snap. The Punter punts at the one-ish yard line, backward out of the end zone. Now, you would think safety, but Randolph-Macon says no. Take the points off the board. It's an illegal kick, and they get the ball half the distance from the kick area. And by doing so, the next play is a Justin DeLeon one-yard touchdown run to make it 24-17 Randolph-Macon. We'll talk more about this legal kick later. Washington Elite comes down the other end. Some penalties, etc., occur in this drive, but let's just focus on the Stephen Murren one-yard touchdown run. It's 24-23, Randolph-Macon. Washington Elite makes the decision immediately. They're going for two. Here's the result. The play. The flip. Brees is in. And Washington Elite gets revenge for two years ago. A two-point conversion with no time remaining. Your final score this afternoon on day field. Washington and Lee 25. Randolph-Macon 24. Uh, that was kind of just a weird field game. We thought that Randolph-Macon would take it early and often, or at least I did. Not so much, my friend, and 
that's the result. Huntington and Brevard, and Brevard starts to scoring early a minute and a half into the game as Mitchell Yoder takes a four-yard pitch uh, play, basically called a run for a touchdown from Eli Carr. Uh, 7-0 uh, was the score for Brevard at that point. At the end of the first quarter, Kahari McReynell gets a four-yard run to tie the game for Huntington, but then with four minutes left in the first half, they would get a Landon Cotney one-yard touchdown run. Not seen here, unfortunately, the video is missing. So Huntington had a 14-7 halftime lead. Huntington's Casey Peppers gets a three-yard fumble recovery here. As you can see, uh, the sack, fumble, touchdown, basically, the results. So it's 21-7 Huntington uh, midway through that third quarter. Brevard would score with two seconds left, but it was too little, too late in this game. 21-14 Huntington with the win. Landon Cotney with 181 total yards, a rushing touchdown. Uh, Huntington's defense... That recovery we talked about, two interceptions, five sacks, and seven tackles for loss. Then finally, trying at center, one of their uh, few remaining interregional matchups that we have uh, to show you here. And we're going to fast forward to the third quarter as we have a center highlight for you. Duper goes under center. He's going to look to pass on the fade. Oh, it's it there. is complete. Touchdown, Colonels. Great throw. Great play. They throw the fade up to the near corner. Jordan Gunter with the three-yard touchdown pass from Duper made it 7-0, that nice long fade pass that he had there. Then with 13 seconds left in the third quarter, this happens. Low snap by Duper, looks to the near side. Now he looks to scramble, gets outside the pocket, across that left side, inside the five, towards the pylon. He is in the end zone. Touchdown, Colonels. Duper's five-yard run, 14-0 now in favor of center. But Trine would have a chance. Kale Lawson with the six-yard pass from Brett Kaler makes it 14-7 in favor of center with 6-13 left. Here's the final play, third and 10 for Trine at the Trine 49. Going to let it fly. It's not going to make it to the end zone, and it is incomplete. That's the ball game. Center wins by a final score of 14-7 and defeats Trine tonight and moves to 3-0 on the season. As they said, it fell incomplete and the win goes to center 14-7 as Duper gets 309 total yards, a rushing and passing touchdown. Alex Price for Trine, not the kind of night he was looking for with only 61 yards passing. Region 3, a lot there to digest, my friend. Yep, uh, certainly was. <laughs> and the interesting thing about that center trying game was one that I think we predicted would be you know full of points well you only got 21 <laughs> it's more of a defensive struggle and I don't know if it was just a bad night for Alex Price or maybe the Colonel's defense is really legit uh, we'll have to wait and see as they start to transition into SAA play but otherwise a couple of close games that were really interesting Ferrum hangs on for a two-point win over Apprentice Hamden Sydney started getting back on track they snuck by Guilford 28-27 the rest, kind of, no real surprises there. Washington and Jefferson took care of business against Case Western, so it appears that the Presidents and the Titans are on a bit of a collision course for the pack title. More on that when that game comes up. If you saw the highlights on Twitter, this one won't be much of a surprise in terms of what we show you here, but here we go. Harden Simmons at Mary Harden Baylor. Galen Glynn with the seven yard run from the Wildcat quarterback type of position. Uh, starts scoring off early, four minutes into the game for Harden-Simmons. 7-0 lead there, but K.J. Miller and his team would respond. 27-yard touchdown pass from Kyle King here with 9.04 left first quarter, made it 
After a Harden Simmons rushing touchdown, Mary Harden Baylor fumbles the ball away early in the second quarter, leading to this. And that is Kevy Evans, the 24-yard touchdown pass from Kyle Jones to make it 21-7 a minute and a half into the second quarter. Halftime score would end up being 28-7 Harden Simmons. Mary Harden Baylor would come back. I know uh, kind of a uh, spoiler alert there, but it, it, just just go with it with me. It's first, Brandon Jordan <laughs> getting a touchdown pass from Kyle King, 28-14 to 14 now in favor of Harden-Simmons. 6.39 left third quarter, it's Connor Mullins. The five-yard touchdown pass to the tight end from Kyle King makes it 28-21. Then four minutes later, Romello Cook with this sky-high jump for the fade route makes it a 28-28 tie, and they weren't done. Six minutes left, fourth quarter, Brandon Jordan. Talked about him earlier. 14-yard touchdown pass from Kyle King. It's 34-28 after a missed extra point. It might have come back to haunt them as it was Kyle Jones leading his team down the field to score, but he was intercepted by Jaden Smith at the Crusader two-yard line. And we're going to take a look at another view of it, one that's more head-on, and you can see a great job by him to read and jump in front of that pass to intercept it and win the game, ultimately, for Mary Harden-Baylor, 34 28 uh kyle king 17 for 25 that's a day 68 percent efficiency there 207 yards five passing touchdowns and finally bethel at st john's the teams jousted to a 17 to 12 st john's lead late in the third quarter that's when this happens severson under center gonna hand it off to underwood nope gonna roll to the right looking he's got larson wide open touchdown johnny nine yards out the johnny's had the lead to 23 to 12. Great execution that time. Of course, when you're running the football effectively, the defense has to try and take that away. Alex Larson's nine-yard touchdown pass from Eric Syverson makes it 24 to 12. Then Jaron Rosti gets his four-yard touchdown run with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter to trim the lead to 24 to 19 St. John's. But St. John's would respond about four minutes later as Devin Volk would get his one-yard touchdown run to expand the lead back to 12 points, 31 to 19. Bethel would score 5.08 left. For the 42, Rossi gonna throw. He's arcing a peg and a wide open is Kidder. Inside the 30, 25-20 to the 10 to the 5. Is he in? Yes, touchdown. 58 yards as Kidder got loose in the secondary. That 58-yard touchdown pass to Joey Kidder made it 31-25, final drive, St. John's tried to bleed the clock out with five minutes left, and they faced a fourth and one. Devin Volk rushed for three yards in the play and gets it, and that effectively ended the game, so they ran out the clock on a five-minute drive to St. John's, and Bethel tried as they might, could not quite get there. St. John's wins that game 31-25, Volk 24 rushes, 85 yards, two touchdowns. Syverson, 23 for 37 day, 278, two touchdowns and an interception. And Rosti had 233 passing yards and two touchdowns of his own for Bethel. JB, regions four through six, take us through it. Well, you know, the, the top teams, North Central wins big. Uh, Mountain Union struggles a little bit with John Carroll in a, a lower scoring game than we thought there, but the Raiders outlast the, the Blue Streaks. And the good news for uh, Region 2 fans, I guess, is that it's highly possible that this outcome could help a uh, second team uh, or a runner-up team from one of the Region 2 conferences get 
a pool C bid um, over John Carroll, uh, who now has two losses. So um, Wheaton wins big. Uh, Central with the biggest win of the weekend with 84 points. Um, we saw a couple of other closer games like Baldwin-Wallace outlasting Heidelberg. Some of the cross-regional uh, games went to um, Albion beating Eau Claire, for instance, which was a game that we, that we picked and fortunately got right. Um, pretty much elsewhere, though, Frank, I would say the only other scores that kind of jump out to me, um, maybe Alma um, beating Martin Luther. That's a That team has quietly gone undefeated. It's Howard Payne, 49-38 over ETBU as well. And then sort of on the back 40, um, you know, Hendricks gets a win finally, 49-27 over Sewanee. Uh, Wash U has been doing well, and they're, they won 27-7. Uh, Chapman losing to Claremont was kind of a, a, the first sort of big upset of the weekend uh, that we tweeted about early on. And then uh, close call, Solaros State hanging on to uh, win by two points over Texas Lutheran, as well as uh, Denison kind of winning a Ohio um, you know, rivalry game 21-16. Pretty interesting stuff all across the, all the board. But the most important thing, Frank, is that I went 12-0 on our picks. I had a pretty good weekend. And that's why I did that. And see, Frank's on mute. You can't even hear. He's got no comeback for this. <laughs> We're leaving that in. I was saying we got to run because that's crunch time for week four of the fall 2021 college football season in Division Three. Foiled again by the microphone, I swear <laughs> to God. Anyway, uh, people don't want to hear about that. They want to hear about JB's MVPs. And we've got four of them right here because it's tough to pick one out of the offensive uh, pile this uh, week for sure. JB, yep. hit it. All right. Well, like I said, um, the Crusaders needed uh, Kyle King to win <laughs> this huge game. Five touchdown passes really led the way for them in the biggest game of his career, uh, basically, at this point, I guess you could say. And he really came through. But it was hard not to, to add a, a co-MVP here with Joey Moriello, who the original stat line um, before the weekend was over is that he had over 300 yards rushing on 31 carries. Apparently, that got edited down a little bit. Um, but still, he's just off to an amazing start, having a really all-American caliber season. On the flip side of the ball, um, Defensive MVP could have gone to a number of different guys, uh, but I'm going to go with um, senior defensive back from Westminster, Bryce, a.k.a. Scorpion Thomas. He had 16 tackles in a big game for them uh, that they really needed to win over Grove City. I've uh, I've seen some other superlatives, guys who either had pick sixes or fumbles or scooping scores. No one had that many tackles as far as I could see from, from searching the box scores. But now, of course, I'm sure we'll get some messages saying that so-and-so had 17. But um, really impressive performance. And, and, you know, Frank, we talked about this back in week one. Maybe there was a reason why Mountain Union just decided to run the ball. This secondary for the Titans seems to be the real deal. Maybe they allow some points here and there. But when it comes down to big plays, they really, they really come through. Uh, finally, uh, senior place kicker. Uh, Moises Salea from Colby, like I said, they broke a 22-year losing streak to the uh, team formerly known as the Lord Jeffs, now the Mammoths, um, up in Amherst. And so I figured, hey, why not? You, you, know, you break a streak that long uh, with a field goal kick, 
good, good for him and good for the mules. They're off to a good start in this NESCAC season. And uh, I, I agree with you there. I wanted to go back, actually, just getting my notes back up here for uh, Williams Tufts uh, to talk about our kind of a slower uh, region review here that we do at this point. Um, I'm a little surprised that we went to overtime in that game. In fact, we, we have to notate it. I'm just noticing uh, on my slide. Uh, you'll, you'll never see it, folks, but we never notated overtime on this game. Uh, but uh, the fact that that went, went to overtime in, what, Somerville, Mass. that day, I, yeah. I'm a little shocked. Uh, maybe they uh, felt so good on that middle, Middlebury win that they let one almost get by them. Or maybe Tufts is uh, somebody that we're going to hear from this season. It might be a combination of both. I'm not sure. But uh, the NESCAC season might be far from over. Don't crown that champion just yet, folks. Just two games into their season. Um, we, we said it with respect to Region 1 and Pool C opportunities that Salve may be the only team left except for a MAC team uh, that might have a Pool C dream if they were to trip up in the ccc play now there yeah coach gil martin will say let's not even talk about that let's win the ccc and rightfully so but you know you you start to ask yourself who legitimately has chances in this new six region system uh in terms of conferences etc and i really think we are starting to slide down this area where, as we said at the beginning of the season, Region 1 probably won't have that chance. We'll see, though, uh, what happens. Yeah, I agree with you, Frank. I think the only scenario that I could see Region 1 getting a pool C is if by some upset down the road where this team, Widener, runs a table and they beat DelVal in the final game of the season in their annual uh, rivalry cup game. Um, I could see DelVal getting in um, as a Pool C candidate. If they lost that game, they will be you know, favorites, though, throughout the rest of the regular season. So I'm not, not a likely scenario, but you never know. Region 2, I think it'll boil down to whether you know, who is the nine and one team in the Liberty League, which has had a fantastic out of conference record as well as the the Centennial. Yeah, I think the Liberty League right now is the one standing in line waiting to see how the rest of the country pans out uh, because uh, we've got four teams legitimately involved in, but here's the problem. They're going to start beating each other. And will somebody go nine and one as a runner up? I don't know. We could have a bunch of eight and twos uh ultimately i I, we'll see where this falls uh the game i hope to attend and i've got to actually ask if they're going to allow me to be there is uh hobart at ithaca uh this weekend which that starts that carnage and uh let's hope they'll let me in the sideline uh, and uh you know do what we do here but we'll check on that uh hopefully they take better care of you this time frank (laughs) just saying let's (laughs) let's just leave that one alone right now Otherwise, uh, the NJAC is, uh, unless Salisbury trips up against Montclair or something like that, I, I can't see the NJAC being in that conversation. Centennial Conference has a, a load of problems of their own right now because of that Ursinus uh, Muhlenberg scenario, but maybe mm-hmm. they both went out. And then we have a real problem there to talk about as to does Muhlenberg get in in that situation? Yeah. Uh, you know, Region 2's got a lot of question marks here, and I'm not sure where they get answered. Uh, we'd stay tuned on that one. Region three, you know, Westminster W and J. Is that where this is really going again? I'm starting to think so. Um, yeah. In the pack, uh, and you know, if both of them ran the table and Westminster was able to beat W and J, W and J would have a great claim, I think, to a uh, pool C bid. So 
Let's yeah. see how that plays out. Randolph Macon's loss definitely jumbles up the ODAC. USA South is going the way that you, some people assume that Huntington might nip Brevard. Others thought the other way, but that was a big game. But Greensboro, etc., have a lot of say still in this conference. And in the SAA, uh, you know, center with that win, it's it's a nice win for sure. But can they beat the yep. likes of Barry, etc., down the line? That's where they ran into trouble in the spring. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know that'll be what the fun, the real fun stuff will be because we we really enjoyed the spring season of the SAA. All those games were really close calls, very competitive, up and down. You know, very barely won. <laughs> you know the 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 spring championship. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, and maybe teams like Hendricks, who sort of had a bit of a rough start, might catch their stride. Um, and Birmingham Southern looks legit too. There's a number of possible uh, champions in that conference. It should be a great run. In the ASC in Region 6, uh, in this uh, last grouping here, uh, here's a question for you, JB. Is Howard Payne going to be able to score the number of points they've been scoring against that UMHB defense, or do you think they've been scoring it against defenses that are, let's say, not nearly the caliber? Um, I think it might be a little bit of both. I, I feel like the UMHB defense may not be as in, impenetrable as it used to be, and there's certainly some tape now um, from Harden-Simmons that shows certain ways you can attack that. Um, but who knows? This this game that the Crusaders just were kind of able to survive might be the wake-up call that they needed, and that defense can start to lock down. You don't see them give up 20, you know, plus points to pretty much anybody, uh, but it's happened now a few times. You know, ETBU did it in the in the springtime, and so they're going to need to kind of clamp things down a little bit, and Howard Payne will certainly be a tough test. As you said earlier, uh, Region 4, the OAC, is going to have a tough time now justifying pull C-bid until uh, or unless something weird happens and we end up with an unexpected 9-1 team in there. Um, really, there's no clear sign aside from maybe Harden-Simmons being a Pool C potential team. And God help us if they put these two teams back together again, if that were to happen for a matchup That'd in the first terrible. round. Yeah. This is the one year I would actually stand up and say, Bull, you know what? On you know one. what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, there is uh, that, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about in those regions coming up. Two last things we need to deal with here. First, the illegal kick we talked about in the WNL uh, win against Randolph-Macon. First, say to yourself, if Randolph-Macon hadn't taken those two points off the board, taken the safety, came down and scored a touchdown, would it have changed the entire game because they could have gone up by nine in that situation. Yeah. But or ten by two, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's tempting not to go for the touchdown or to grab the instant touchdown in that situation as well. So that that's one you got to kind of think about in terms of strategy. And a legal kick is when you don't control the ball and you kick the ball, and in this case, backward uh, by the punter. So the punter, you know, didn't have any control of the ball in his hands or dropping it for the kick. And so when you kick the ball like that. It is called an illegal kick. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> it's an illegal kick. That was, that was, yeah, that was an illegal kick. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, so if it happens in the field of play, you can take the penalty and decline the safety, essentially. And so if it happened one more yard later, or if he just scooped up the ball and threw it out of the end zone or something like that, 
uh, you know, legal batting still in the end zone, it would be a safety. There's no other uh, way to uh, manage that penalty. So it was not the smartest of moves there by WNL, but it actually pays off in the end because the score stayed within a possession and they went for the win and got it. So there you go. But if you're a kicker, don't kick the field backward in the field of play. You're creating just as bad a scenario possibly as if you fell on it and half the distance to the goal if you're uh, too close to the goal line as well. So there, there's that. Finally, are you kidding me, RPI? I'm letting you go first this time because uh, I will tell the first, the story of uh, last weekend was that RPI, I, I'm guessing after our interview with Annie Cohen, uh, where she thanked RPI's administration for at least allowing them into the ECAF to use the bathrooms or having ported potties or whatever it was. Uh, they heard that. So obviously they're listening to our stuff. So hi RPI, how are you? Nice to see you. Uh, Troy's a great place. Can't wait to come back and visit someday once you get things right uh, on this whole thing. But they hear it and they shut, shut down whatever bathroom access or restroom access they had there and force parents to go to the bathroom in the woods, essentially. You first, go right ahead, my friend. Way to treat grandma and grandpa, guys, after the worst you know, health crisis we've had in 100 years. You're gonna treat these people like they're, I don't even, I don't even know, the, the, the lack of respect, um, this human decency that, that's being put out there in the form of quote unquote science. And um, we've reached out to a, a kind of a, a, a pretty famous epidemiologist who, who is a teacher at one of the schools that, that we cover on this show. We'll see if we can get him. He's a busy guy. Um, but I would love to ask him for his perspective on this policy. And it's, um, it just seems, it, 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 it just seems really unnecessary when you see what's going on all around us and the fact that there are so many safeguards now, whether it's you know requiring uh, vaccination cards for entry, masks at the stadium, social distancing, there's there are ways around a complete and utter shutdown. And ultimately, it hurts uh, the players, it hurts their families, and the fact that someone in that administration would be so petty as to lock the doors of the bathrooms on campus. I mean, it's supposed to be a nationally renowned engineering institution. You guys are a joke right now. Clean it up. Do better for your for your players and student athletes. Come on. So, I'm going to go a step further or two here. Um, RPI, in this entire process, attempted to create a bubble, basically over the campus, uh, and. Let me start by saying, before I even go there, President Jackson, Dr. Jackson, you do some great things for RPI and have done some great things. This is your last year there. We get it. But you raised a lot of money and some great things have happened at RPI. A hundred percent. A guy from Union like me is even a little jealous of some of the great things you've gotten in terms of facilities and whatnot. No, never going to take that away from you. Never. But you're taking it away from yourself right now. Legacies matter. 
I think for folks like yourself and others out there. And this is going to start impinging on your legacy and what happens next for you in your career. You wanted a bubble on that campus. And when it came to sports, you did an interesting thing. You shut down the weight room, the gym on the campus. So instead of letting students go work out in a controlled scenario and, you know, clean up, uh, try to get a cleaning crew in there, et cetera, et cetera, do it in shifts like a lot of our home gyms and buildings did uh, over time, you shut it down. But the students had the option in the fall, spring period, they had the option to go off campus to a gym. Vent Fitness, Planet Fitness, those are two of the popular ones that were used. And my friends over at Vent Fitness, I know, treated your students very well that went over there in uh, their Latham store over there. So, wait a minute. The bubble that you had is now breached because you let students go off campus and use other facilities and come back. And you know what? Masks aren't perfect. So no matter how many masks they were wearing while they were working out at those places, they were bringing germs back. It's just the way it goes. So this bubble thing you did didn't work. Yeah, maybe you didn't have infections, but in terms of just the philosophy and the science that you were trying to put forward, it wasn't reality. Let's fast forward to now. You're trying to bubble on your athletics events, etc. That's interesting because guess what? Those families that you wouldn't let into that facility, a bunch of the families, from what I understand from a parent, all were over at Recovery Room, which is across the street on Hoosick Street, eating dinner together without masks on because New York doesn't require you to have the masks on in those restaurants when you're eating. The same people you were keeping away from the students are with the students anyway. It doesn't make sense. The bubble you are trying to create doesn't exist. So why are we doing this? Your student athletes don't want it this way. Your students at large don't either. Your virtual family weekend? Are you freaking kidding me? Virtual family weekend is coming up? Virtual my backside at this point because that's, where are we? Have we learned nothing in the last year and a half? Because from listening to RPI, we sure haven't. We have. I was told 18 different ways to Tuesday, trust the science. Well, Dr. Jackson, who's a doctor in science, trust the science. The science says you can be outside, socially distanced, and be safe. Add a mask if you want a little extra safety at that point. But to act like your school is in a sacrosanct position here because of these policies you have, that you're, you've got the safest school around, you don't. You don't. And all you're doing is hurting these families that are paying how much? $75,000 a year? That's not only bad customer service, it's just stupidity. And it's got to stop. Let these families onto that campus for these Liberty League games that are coming up. Don't do this disservice to your student athletes, your students, and their families any further.
it doesn't make sense. And how many of them are going to be there for parents' yeah. weekend, taking their kids out, even though they can't come on campus, taking them out to dinner or whatever else they want to do? It, 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 it was just like Endicott. Remember Endicott? I told you, uh, JB, they uh, had all the uh, fans not socially distanced, no masks, etc. Yet me on the field, vaccinated, had to have a mask on for my protection and their protection, etc. Well, after the game, where do you think those fans who have now all you know, been sharing whatever germs go around yeah. are going to do? Who are they hanging out with? The student athletes on the field. It's a policy yep. that's just unrealistic when you take it the next step. These are higher academic institutions, higher education. Where's the education of the people making these policies? I don't get it anymore. And Dr. Jackson, as I said on Twitter, went to Union College for my undergrad, went to Harvard Law School for my JD, went to University of Miami for my LLM. I teach there, in fact, as well. I don't agree with some of their policies uh, and some of the things that I've seen, but overall, guess what? Union, families can attend. Harvard, families can attend. Hard Rock Stadium for University of Miami football, families can attend. Remember, they saved the cat. Nobody had a mask on uh, at that facility. <laughs> Remember that video? So, yeah, yeah. Dr. Jackson, what about RPI? You are no better than the rest of those institutions in terms of the bubble you've created. Stop. Just stop for your legacy. You want to be in the Biden administration at some point? I will be the first one to get down to Congress to testify. And I have the ability to do it because I know enough people, Dr. Jackson, to expose what you did in this situation. And it's not good. Even the Biden administration doesn't agree with you on this one. Let me just be clear about that. This transcends politics. Unusual when something does these days, but your policy transcends politics. Stop. Okay, JB, uh, we have a preview show coming up on Friday uh, where we'll talk about quite a few big games in week five. And uh, last thoughts? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're, we're definitely starting to transition into conference play. As we said, there should be some great matchups such as, you know, Del Val versus Lyco, um, Norwich versus Coast Guard for the mug. Remember Ryan Jones and the mug from a few years ago, Frank? It's the, the little Army-Navy game, you can say. Hobart, Ithaca, two top 25 ranked teams um, should be outstanding. The Salisbury-Montclair State game first uh big opportunity in the NJAC to sort of say who's going to be the leader of the pack there. Um, in the SAA, Hendricks versus Center. In the USA South, you've got teams like, um, you know, Methodists who played Huntington in the spring championship, the other playing again uh, this Saturday. Trinity of Texas is playing Barry. Trinity was picked to finish first in the SAA. Barry is the defending spring champs. Um, out in the Midwest, Wabash versus Denison should be a great game. Trine versus Adrian. Uh, Carroll versus North Central could be interesting, as well as Wheaton versus Washington uh, University, St. Louis. And then out in Region 6, Wisconsin, there's a couple of big games, Stout versus Whitewater, Lacrosse versus River Falls. And then out in the far west, Lewis and Clark kind of uh, quietly, you know, doing pretty well, taking on Whitworth at four o'clock on Saturday. Whitworth has been able to hang around and, and stay in the top 25. Um, Lewis and Clark could be their first real challenge before, obviously, they eventually have to, to play Linfield. We're right around the one hour mark. We're going to say goodbye for now. We'll see you on Friday for the preview show.